Welcome to Seven Innings Podcast. I'm Amanda Scarborough, and today on the show, we have Michelle Smith, Madison Shipman, Kayla Bro, Danielle Laurie, and Aaron Miller. Today on the show, we're going to chat a little Tennessee and their big week. We're going to preview a doubleheader on ESPN2 on Thursday night. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to chat about Utah sweeping Stanford, have an interview with arguably the best hitter in the country, maybe Wichita State's Sydney McKinney, dive into Oklahoma and just so much more. This is really a packed show. But before we get started, last night, the WPF draft happened in Oklahoma City and Alex Duraco from Oklahoma went as the number one overall pick to the Oklahoma City Spark. 24 athletes got drafted and Lauren Chamberlain is the WPF commissioner. And it looked great last night, you guys. Did you guys have a chance to check that out? What did you guys see or notice? Yeah, I wanted to give a special shout out to the seventh overall pick, my sister, Allie Shipman, getting picked. I was really excited to be able to watch that. So proud of her and the hard work that she has put in her entire career. Um, and it's a really special moment to see her drafted in that. It was exciting to see a lot of alumni, too. A lot of familiar faces. Um, got to see Alex broadcast, which is exciting. Just goes to show the growth of our sport. The production was incredible. Um, and props to Lauren, one of my best friends. Just really cool seeing her climb this mountain. Yeah, I thought it looked um, really big. I, that was, of course, the first WPF draft. This is the first year for the WPF. So I thought to me, you could tell that they put maybe a little bit more into it. Like it just seemed and felt bigger. So hopefully that's a good sign for what's to come out of the WPF um, this summer when they're playing games and uh, getting to watch these athletes play. Um, also, okay. Beyond the WPF, like looking and feeling bigger, is it just me or just have things really felt like it picked up this week? I think with our travel schedule and the games and attendance records have been breaking all over the country this year alone. I mean, this is just off the top from my Twitter post, but Nevada, Central Arkansas, Texas, Missouri, North Alabama, and Florida set a new three-game attendance record with close to 7,200 fans, which leads us to number one on the lineup card, Sky High Boo Bombs. And yeah, a boo bomb is more along the Tennessee lines, but uh, Florida had a big series this weekend too against Georgia where they won the series in Gainesville, scored 23 runs, had 30 hits in three games. Uh, that was a big series and, and Madison, Florida looked, um, they looked inspired this weekend. What was the difference in Florida this weekend? They looked really good. And coming into this weekend, I think the offense knew that they were going to have to put runs up because Georgia has one of the best offenses in the country. So you know that you're not going to be able to shut down Georgia's offense completely. So I think it falls back on Florida's offense to be able to step up. And Skylar Wallace, I mean, if I sit here and say that she had an unbelievable week, I, I think I'm underselling what she did up at the plate last week. Um, she's one of those unique batters that has that power, that has speed. And most of all, she just has that competitive edge. And I know, Kayla, you got to interview her and she said she just hates to lose it doesn't matter what it takes she's going to do whatever it can whatever she can to win those ball games and she only got out twice the entire week last week um, but the four home runs that she hit against Georgia I think we're starting to see the power emerge and I think it's important too for Florida that they don't just get the production from one player in the lineup but I think when you have Wallace hitting the way that she is when you have Sharla Eccles and you have even Reagan Walsh who's a sophomore who I think has stepped up tremendously for that squad when you have so many different players hitting the ball as well as they are it 
makes it really difficult for pitchers just to pitch around one particular batter. So that's why you see Skylar Wallace getting a bunch of pitches to see during a game. But also if you put her on base, she's going to steal second. And they've got Kendra Falby that can steal second. So I think they're the complete package right now. And I think we saw that last weekend of the speed, the the power, um, and their defense stepping up too. And Amanda, I know they've got a big challenge coming up this weekend going up against the top team in the SEC. Yeah, I think it's funny because you start to notice in the SEC whenever teams play each other, and this is every conference, but I, I think I just call games in the SEC and we're talking about Florida, but it's like teams go up and down. Um, teams start to play really well, or maybe they're struggling at times. So Tennessee is playing really well right now and Florida is playing really well right now. But just a couple of weeks ago, Tennessee really wasn't playing great. And you could tell that they have played playing inspired softball and, and Karen weekly challenged them this week back to their uh, midweek game against Virginia tech when they scored a ton of runs. And she wanted to see a difference out of their mindset, not just at the beginning of the game, not just relying on Kiki Malloy. If she hits a leadoff home run, just coasting the rest of the game. And I think you could see that in the four games that they played against ranked opponents, they played Virginia tech and then went to Kentucky and swept them pretty easily. I mean, Tennessee outscored their opponents 38 to four this week. And I think that they were just dominant wins. Even the win that that was, um, an extra any win on Friday night against Kentucky. That was a close win, but they figured out a way to win without run ruling their opponents like they had been doing. So Tennessee looks like really strong. McKenna Gibson or Boo hit four home runs. Her and Skylar Wallace both hit four home runs this weekend or well this week. Um, and that's where the boo bombs came from because there are a couple of sky high ones. But both teams, Madison, are kind of um trending up right now. I would say it kind of makes this weekend really interesting when they face each other. Yeah, they're both trending up, and it's interesting from a statistical standpoint, they're both very similar in several categories, whether that be home runs or stolen bases or fielding percentage. I know that might change a little bit because both teams have a midweek this week, but they're both very similar. The one category that there's a drastic difference is going to be the ERA in the pitching for Tennessee has been better this year than Florida. So I think the key for for the teams this weekend, I think it has to be a very offensive-minded approach to this weekend. You've got to figure out how to hit the opponent's pitching, um, specifically for Florida going up against Tennessee's pitching staff, who throughout this year has been rock solid. Ashley Rogers in the circle has looked healthy. I think that's made a difference. She has so much jump on her rise ball. And the, the key for them, too, is only having to throw her maybe one game a week so that she's staying healthy for the entire course of the season. Yeah, that's to me the tremendous advantage that Tennessee has going into the series. I mean, yeah, you point out their their numbers and offense and defense too, but when you have three different starting pitchers, the way that Tennessee has been using a three-woman rotation on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it just makes it tough too because they're all rested mentally and physically. Karen Weekly was talking to us about that going to the weekend too. It's like it's not just the physical aspect that their pitchers are not having to throw. One pitcher is not having to throw every single inning. It's the mental aspect that they can go in confident, know that their offense is going to score runs. And that if they don't have the best game, they have three, four, five, even other pitchers on their staff that they can go to. And the three Peyton Gottschall, Ashley Rogers, and Carlin Pickens get the majority of the innings. So, um, I, I kind of see this as Tennessee's, um, pitching staff shutting down Florida's offense, but, uh, you, you seriously never know what's going to happen in the sec. And we've seen stranger things and Florida seems to be playing well right now. So can't wait to see that Florida, Tennessee series, Michelle. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. All right. Great job. You guys, um, that's going to roll us down into the number two hole. And, um, it's the use have it. Danielle and I are going to 
talk a little bit about the PAC schedule and what's going on in the uh, the PAC 12. So I'm going to just roll right in with UCLA. I've got them coming up this week with uh, ASU uh, coming into California to play UCLA, who's in the number one spot. And I think um, when you look at the standings for the PAC 12, there's a little bit of a surprise with Utah in the two spot um, behind UCLA. And they're just one game back. So it's, this is going to be a fun week. Uh, watching what's going on in the Pac-12. But I think uh, when you think Pac-12 and UCLA, you have to talk about Maya Brady. She has just been outstanding lately. She's the player of the week. I mean, she just bashed against Arizona. She had a 500 batting average, five hits, three home runs. I mean, she's just really making a case for herself for USA Softball Player of the Year. She's just got some incredible numbers. And she's also in the hunt for the triple crown. So home runs, batting average, RBI. She's just, um, I think an RBI is a little bit behind in that race, but it was kind of interesting when I was um, doing some research for this, that there just have not been a lot of um, triple crown winners. And um, so it'll be exciting to see how that all plays out. Megan Grant as well, freshman for UCLA has been on a tear. She had four hits, a 400 average. She is also the freshman of the week uh, for the Pac-12 just had a great series. Um, and the freshmen for UCLA have really been, um, you know, standing out. They've been doing a great job. And then, of course, we got to talk about Megan Faramo. She has been hot as of late. Um, she did see her career-long, yes, career-long scoreless streak come to an end against Arizona. But still, you guys, it was at 35.2 innings. I mean, that is impressive, super impressive. Um, she picked up win number one, uh, excuse me, win number 20, which is a lot faster than it was last year. So win number 20 in 2023 is coming on April 14th, whereas last year it did not come until a month later in the season. So that in itself right there is pretty impressive for UCLA. Arizona State, they've been uh, stubbing their toe a little bit lately, five and 10 in the pack. They've lost four straight. They do have a midweek game to try and get back on a roll before they go visit um, UCLA and, and Arizona as well. You're not really used to seeing Arizona at three and 12 and Pac-12 conference. So now, Danielle, you've played in the pack. You know what a grind it is. Um, what do you see with Utah, Stanford, and Washington uh, playing out this week? Yeah, first off, I just wanted to say, I mean, I love Amanda so much. I copied her whole look today. We got the bun, we got the same glasses, we're on point. Um, this is like the grind time for across the nation, right? It's like, I feel like all the teams are kind of in the trenches, conference play. You're like getting so close to May. It's like, there's just a lot going on, but I feel like to me, Utah is just like kind of quietly crushing everyone. Like number 19 in the country. I'm not taking any, any disrespect away to where they're at, but like their schedule up until PAC 12 play to me just wasn't impressive. Like they weren't playing any teams where it was like, oh dang, they're really well-prepared top RPI, but then you go and look what they've done since they've set foot in the Pac-12 and they've been playing. I mean, it's their best start since 2012. Um, and that's when they had like Anissa Ortez, Hannah Flippin. So they are definitely firing on all cylinders. Um, I think kind of looking at where they're at, they obviously swept Oregon State one, two or three from Arizona. They lost the series to Cal, which to me I thought was a little bit crazy. Um, they won two or three against Arizona State. And then the big one is Stanford. Um, you look at what they were able to do, scoring 13 runs, had 27 hits. But to me, it's the come from behind wins. It's being able to score late when you're down. I think that goes to show offensively they're a team that continues to to keep fighting. I think if it's anything, I just kind of question the defense a little bit. Six errors over the course of the three games. Those are just the little things that have to be shored up, especially moving on into 
the rest of Pac-12 play um, and into May. And I mean, they're led by some studs. Like you look at Aaliyah Bellardi, she's hitting 431 on the season. The fifth year, Alessa Bonstrom has eight home runs, leads that team. And they have pretty two solid aces in the circle with Sydney Sandez and Mariah Lopez, about 70 plus innings a piece with a little late reliever and Sarah Ladd. Um, but Utah has a really tough schedule ahead of them. I mean, they're going to go play Washington who just beat Oregon state two of three. Um, and then they still have UCLA and they have Oregon. So it's not to take away where they're at, but, um, I think when I looked at Stanford this weekend, I had circled like, where's Nija Kennedy at? That's the big question. Is Nija healthy? She threw 2.1 innings on Saturday and that was it for Stanford. Um, the good thing was she threw last night in the BYU game and threw 4.1 innings pitched. So to me, it's kind of a good opportunity for them this weekend to go play Cal and maybe get some more innings under her belt if she's healthy. Because we're talking about someone that is a 0.12 ERA um, and is 9-0, 102 strikeouts. And mind you, only 58 innings pitched because she has been down for the count the last couple of weeks. But it's going to be interesting to see kind of where Stanford goes this weekend with her, but also the grind that Utah has ahead of them. Yeah, really good stuff, Danielle. And going back to um, Maya Brady and the uh, the race for the Triple Crown, it is interesting. Obviously, we need to talk a little bit about JDH, Jenny Dalton-Hill. She actually won that uh, in the pack in 95, and then, of course, Stacey Newman in 99. And then it hadn't been done for 22 years. Bailey Klingler did it last year at Washington. So it'll be interesting to see if Maya Brady can do it this year, that there was about a 23-year gap, and then we potentially could have it in back-to-back years. So we'll keep an eye on Maya Brady and her race for potentially the Triple Crown. All right, let's head to number three on the lineup card, round two in Waco. This past weekend, um, Oklahoma played Louisville and Miami, Ohio on Saturday. They won both of those games, kind of a lighter week for Oklahoma this week as they play, had an out-of-conference schedule. Um, and then they went to Baton Rouge, of course, last Tuesday and played a, a close game uh, against LSU. But this weekend, they're going to face Baylor again. As a reminder, back on February 19th, Baylor gave Oklahoma their one loss of the season and a 4-3 loss. And now they get to face off again in Waco. Um, Kayla, what, what are we thinking about this weekend and this rematch between Baylor and Oklahoma? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to kick it off plain and simple. I think Baylor has zero chance of winning any game this weekend. Uh, I think Oklahoma is going to come ready and we talk about it all the time. And Aaron, you know, this it's like beat Oklahoma. They just, they play a lot better the second time you play them. And, uh, there were some things that were different back in February, uh, that I think about and some signs that I think are going to lead to a big OU weekend against Baylor. Number one, they didn't have Kinsey Hansen. Number two, Jordan, Jordy Ball wasn't the same Jordy Ball that we're seeing today that's playing well for best softball right now. So I think if you add those two factors and where OU's at comparatively, comparatively to where they were in February, I, I just think there's so many things that are going to lead to a big Oklahoma sweep. Uh, another thing that I think about um, Aliyah Benford, a pitcher for Baylor who uh, got to pitch against them when they played back in February, is not playing right now. So it's going to come come down to a lot on Orm and how well she's going to be able to throw against a Sooner team who's already seen her. Uh, again, just another reason I think that OU is going to do really, really well. And then the last thing that I think about um, in terms of this weekend is that Baylor scored all of their runs in one inning. 
So when you think about how much and how consistently OU is going to pound you over three, three games offensively, you're going to have to score in more than one inning. And they just didn't prove that they could do that against the sooner pitching staff. And again, a Jordy ball that wasn't the Jordy ball that we're even seeing today. So I think those are some big time factors. Um, you know, OU, or excuse me, Baylor played Texas Tech this weekend. And Texas Tech put up 26 runs on them over three games. So if Texas Tech's going to put up 26 runs on you, I I don't even want to know what OU is going to do, Aaron. Listen, since since Baylor got a W, I had this weekend circled on my calendar um, because I have a feeling this this will be brutal. Uh, and and you said it too, Kayla, that Oklahoma, you, you're going to struggle to beat them twice. And Baylor's going to have to face them three times on their home turf. Something that I went back and, and read on the, the presser that Coach Gasso had talked about at, the, at that point in the season, they hadn't faced an arm with the speed of, of Orm. There's a lot of softball that's been played since they've faced the staff. So I'm sure this offense has gone back and watched that film until they were blue in the face. They will have all the tools in the tool belt, and they're going to be ready to take their best game against those arms. Um, something else that I think if you had a crystal ball, Coach Gasso probably wouldn't have scheduled this, but the fact that there were two non-conference run rules prior to going to Waco, I don't know whether I feel like that's a good thing or a bad thing. Are they able to get feel-good reps and put a ma massive numbers and ride that momentum, or did they need to be tested a little harder before they go into Baylor? I don't know. I'm up for debate there. Kayla, what do you think? Uh, I think they're going to be just fine. And maybe some much needed rest might do them some good, but I don't know. I, I again, if you want to dive into this game a little bit more and you look at Baylor, Baylor's a good team. I, I mean, they have some players that can hit the ball. Um, I mean, Shaylin Govan has just been unreal this season. She's got 43 RBIs on the season and you look at their roster as a whole and they've got four hitters that are hitting, hitting above 300. And you're like, wow, that's actually a pretty decent stat. That, that's some kids that can swing it. And then you go to the other side of things and you look at OU and they've got five hitters hitting above 400 and then they have six hitters with 30 plus RBIs. It's just unreal when you think about the talent and we keep saying it over and over again, but uh, I think it didn't really matter who they played, honestly, before, because like you mentioned, you've got the game circled, Aaron, you know, that there's like five circles and 18 <laughs> stars on all those players calendars. Like they remember, they took it personally. Well, one thing I can tell you, because I've been a part of these matchups, there's history to this, and it might not necessarily be something that the public is privy to. And I may be setting myself up for some secondhand embarrassment here, but there are, there's some footage out there of a dance off between me and the Baylor offense, um, it it can get dirty. The OU Baylor matchup can get dirty. So make sure you're tuning in for that three game series. You you're liable to see some tension. Get Aaron, I'm shocked. Aaron, are you were dancing? No way. I don't believe Shocker. you. <laughs> I know. Shocker. All right, we're gonna have to queue up that footage, uh, Robin. Uh, definitely try to incorporate that somehow, maybe into the promo that we showed during games. So hopefully, we can sneak that in there. Um, Kayla, I don't know if you mentioned this or Aaron, because I, sometimes I just black out for a second. But I think a big thing too for Baylor is that they don't have Aaliyah Benford um, offensively or in the circle who came in and, and helped secure that win earlier on in February. She has a nasty changeup. There were several different changeups, so I feel like that's a, a different look that Oklahoma is not going to get from Baylor this time Michelle yeah good stuff I don't know maybe a name for the podcast could be like Aaron's dance off with Baylor or you know something uh <laughs> something to that effect we'll have to see 
All right, that's going to roll us into the fourth spot. How about um, we talk about all of us collectively, um, does losing one game matter? And um, so if you look back over the last weekend, there were a ton of upsets over the weekend, and I'm just going to name a couple of them. So it's not just that does one game, losing one game matter, but losing a series, does that matter? Um, I, you know, I think it's an interesting conversation. Arkansas has dropped midweek games to central Arkansas. One of the reasons why they've been ranked in some um, polls, Auburn beat LSU, South Carolina swept Texas A&M. Sorry, Amanda. Um, Kansas beat Texas. Um, who else? Nebraska got spanked. No, actually it's the other way around. Nebraska spanked Indiana in game one, and then went on to sweep the series. How about that? I mean, th that was a blowout in game one. Uh, Utah, we talked about that, swept Stanford, Texas Tech beat Baylor. Um, then on Saturday, uh, Virginia beat Florida State, Florida beat Georgia. I mean, it's like on and on and on. Oklahoma State, this is me, sorry, me, um, lost <laughs> game three to Iowa State. Um, so we could go on and on. I think that it's, I, I think some of it is all relative. It's it's kind of the way you view it. I think if you lose one game in a series, that's just where our sport has gone nowadays. It's hard to sweep series. It's just super duper difficult. Um, but I think that you've got to beat the people you're supposed to beat. Um, and so if you win the series and you drop one game, I don't think that's as bad as maybe losing those midweek games to maybe mid-majors. You know, those kind of have a little bit of a asterisk on them probably for the selection you know, committee a little bit more. Um, so what do you think, Maddie, you want to jump in and share your thoughts? Yeah, I'm I completely agree with you. I think, uh, you know, from a losing a game perspective, I think you're exactly right. I think that dropping a game in a series, especially with the way that these coaches are using their pitching stabs too, it's not like you just throw the same pitcher out there every single day of a three game series. Typically you're throwing out there your number one on a Friday and then on a Sunday, and then on a Saturday, you're throwing out your two and your three. Um, where I, I think that losses look really bad is when you get swept, especially if you get swept at home. Um, I think not being able to make those adjustments within a three game series, to me, it looks worse than maybe a one-off loss here or there. Um, even some of these midweek matchups too. I think what we've seen teams do in this season in particular is they go out there and they're hunting these really tough midweek matchups, like not easy matchups, but they are trying to test their team going into conference play and going into that weekend series. And maybe it's two to try to build up some confidence in their two and their number three pitcher too. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of things that are going into it but to me it's the sweeps um, especially on the road that look worse than anything else I think too Michelle it's when that one game is dropped I can remember back when we had rounded the corner into conference play and coach Gasso would say this until she was numb in the face of get the first game get the first W of the series stick it in the back pocket so I think from a, a momentum standpoint in conference play when you're facing a team three times my biggest focus was to beat them the first time you face them and then roll into the rest of the weekend. Do you have any thoughts on that, Danielle? Well, I will say it's hard to win these days, consistently win. And I remember Lonnie Alameda saying that she goes, it's just, it's very hard to win all the time. There's one program that does it right now and that's Oklahoma and that's just where they're at and they've earned that right. Um, and I also think that there's a lot more challenging midweek games than we ever dealt with when we were playing. And I actually don't know, someone asked me this the other day, and I don't know if there is a cap on how many games you can play in a season, like midweek, um, adding on to a schedule. But I just think it's that grind of trying to figure out like how to give these players this experience that maybe 
aren't getting enough of it where you want to get them into a midweek game, but also you still want to be able to build up that RPI and that resume. You don't want to lose games that you shouldn't. So it's, it's hard to say does losing one game hurt you. I don't think that it does. I think that there are series that if you drop, that can definitely hurt you, but I, I'm with you, Aaron. I mean, I, the importance of winning game one, I think really sets the tone for, for what lies ahead for a weekend. But at the end of the day, like it's really about kind of gaining as much about the squad as you can heading into obviously conference tournament play and then postseason. And not everyone is in the best spot right now. Cause like I said, I kind of feel like you come to this head in conference play where it's like, geez, we're playing the same team three days in a row. And it's that grind, right? So it's more this mental grind with the athlete at this point where I feel like you're really remembering the dark days in the fall and the winter of all the hard stuff that you did to allow for you to push through maybe this mental grind that, that you can be at as a team. So it's hard for everyone. Um, it's hard to consistently win and, uh, yeah, dropping a game you shouldn't, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but losing a series I think can hurt you. Yeah, well, I think even when you do drop a game in the series, and I can think about in my career, I can remember some really pivotal weekends where I dropped game one, um, or our team dropped game one of a series, and it's about how you respond. Um, think about my sophomore year, we played Stanford in a, in a super regional, we dropped game one. And going back into the locker room afterward, like everyone was pissed off, fired up, didn't want to take off their jersey because they wanted to play the next day. And if that's how you can take that loss and take that into the next two games of your series and go out and win, I think that shows shows you a lot about your team. And um, if you take that first loss is like, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me, like we're down, like what's going on? I'm not confident, but you use it and spin it forward. I'm hungry. I want to go out and compete the next day. I think that serves you really, really well. And you know, to your guys's point, the most successful teams, despite the fact that they lose one game a series, end up winning the series. Don't let a team beat you twice. That's the biggest key to championship caliber play is not letting somebody beat you twice because everything that we do in our sport when it comes to postseason is going to be double elimination. So Super Regionals, Regionals, and the Women's College World Series is not losing twice. So if you can figure out a way in the regular season in these series to compete your butt off and win two games, I think that says a lot about your program. And that's why you see teams like Oklahoma having the success they are because they don't let teams beat them twice, period. Yeah, I think that just the overall parity in our sport and and the strength of teams is better. Michelle, you and I were talking about this, but I think Iowa State's record was 13 and 25 when they beat Oklahoma State. But if I wouldn't have seen that on the bug and just watched Oklahoma State play it, and even how they played against Oklahoma in game one of their series, like I would, there was zero chance that I thought Iowa State's record was 13 and 25. They don't feel like a 13 and 25 team. So it's like all these teams are better. Even the teams that have losing records that, that used to just be like, oh yeah, we're going to roll in for sure. Don't even really have to show up for this game and get a win. There really aren't any of those games anymore. Like you have to show up for every game. And that's so the exhausting part that Danielle was talking about, like the mental grind that every game just feels like so much more. But I think that there's this way to look at it from like a team culture from the fans morale and for RPI purposes. And I think that each kind of has a different feel for how the team culture and team is going to take it on. What are the fans saying on social media? Are they panicking about it? Does that add to the mix? And what's the impact overall on RPI? Because that's the bottom line. I think that's like the bottom line. Why fans freak out is because we're thinking ahead to May and selection show and the top 16 seeds and where your team is going to end up. And every team, Michelle is just trying to grab one of those top 16 seeds so they can host to regional. I mean, that's ultimately why you want to win games, uh, play a tough schedule and get as many wins as you possibly can. 
All right, let's move to number five on the lineup card, Thursday Double Dip. That reminds me of like a double dip uh, chocolate, like ice cream cone or something. I don't know. I think of double dip or like jumping in the pool, but maybe that's just me. Uh, we have a double header on ESPN2 on Thursday night, starting with Florida State at Virginia Tech. That'll be at 7 Eastern, followed by Oklahoma State at Texas at 9 Eastern. Um, Michelle, let's start in Blacksburg with uh, you and, and Beth will be at the Florida State Virginia Tech game on Thursday night. What can we expect from that one? Um, I, you know, Amanda, I think polar opposites. When I look at these two uh, programs, it's going to be interesting because you have the pitching of Florida State going up against the big bats of Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has 81 home runs on the year. They lead the NCAA. And when it comes to even home runs per game, they're just a smidge behind Oklahoma uh, in that category. So this is definitely a club that can bash the ball. Their slugging percentage is up this year, even though their batting average, their team batting average is down a little bit. And so when you think about their big boppers and their hitters, well, who are they going to be hitting off? They're going to be hitting off of Florida State, who has seven different pitchers that they can go to. Obviously, their ace is uh, Catherine Sandercock. So it will be interesting to see, do we get a Catherine Sandercock, Emma Lemley matchup, who is the ace of uh, Virginia Tech? But it's interesting because Cat has only given up five home runs all year. As a staff, Florida State's given up just 12 home runs. So there you go, the polar opposites. The, the team ERA for Florida State, also one of the best in the country at um, just a little bit about a, a 1-7. So it is going to be an interesting series for sure. Um, the, the thing that worries me a little bit about Emma Lemley is that she has given up 28 home runs on the year. And remember last year, she had that foot issue where her foot was up. She was called for a lot of illegal pitches. Not so much this year. She's fixed that. But, you know, she's a different pitcher. She's given up a lot of long balls. Another thing to consider, they don't really have their pitching coach anymore. So um, the, 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 the pitching coach is gone. And then also Mac uh, Lawyer was their catcher last year who called their pitches. And so that's another really big change. Different catcher this year, who's calling pitches. I mean, all those little things become big things. I have Molly Jacobson, Lindsey Grind um, also rounding out that staff for Virginia Tech. So I think it's going to be very interesting. I think that if Florida State can keep the ball in the yard, I think they have a good chance to win this. So Amanda, what are you looking forward to with the uh, Oklahoma State Texas game right after ours? Yeah, a little rematch from the Women's College World Series semis between Oklahoma State and Texas when Texas double dipped uh, Oklahoma State and made it to the champ finals, right? So Texas uh, went to and zero against Oklahoma state and the world series. But the crazy part is you guys like Oklahoma state, uh, since Kenny Gajewski has been there battling Mike white. I mean, they've had most of the success against Texas, like Kenny Gajewski against Mike white, um, when he's been at Texas is 13 and four. Um, so two of those losses came at the women's college world series. So it seems like um, Oklahoma state in a way has kind of had Texas's number for whatever reason, because both of them have been really competitive teams and find themselves at super regionals and women's college world series. But this is two totally different looking teams from last year, with the exception of having Kelly Maxwell in the circle for Oklahoma state, who's one of the best pitchers in the country, the best strikeout pitcher, the best swing and miss pitcher in the country. So looking forward to watching her pitch against this really young Texas lineup that has a lot of freshmen in it that are a big part. Um, I think that that it's always fun to watch these two teams play like in the past two years. So before, um, before this year, they 
face each other 13 times. Like these two teams have a lot of history, uh, whether it was matching up at the world series, super regionals, big 12 tournament, or just in the regular series, uh, the regular conference series. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that this one could be a little spicy, Michelle. I know you follow, um, I know you follow Oklahoma state closely and of course, Oklahoma state, Texas matchup. What do you think about this one? Just from watching your team? I think there's going to be a lot of emotion. I think it's going to be definitely very spicy. Um, I, I think that Oklahoma state needs to play well on this series. And I feel like they have lost a couple of games over the last maybe two to three weeks that they, they shouldn't have. Again, they've been very good, but uh, I, th- I think they're going to have to be on point because this Texas team has a lot of energy, a lot of fire, a lot of really good freshmen that don't know really what's happened the last two to three years. Obviously I think everybody's looking on um, about what happened, as you mentioned in May at the women's or June, I guess it really was in the women's college world series where Texas basically handed it to them and, and punched their ticket to the champ series. So, you know, I, I think Oklahoma state is a very good team, but they're going to have to step up this weekend and improve it. So I'm uh, obviously well, going to have my eye on that. Yeah. You're going to be watching that immediately after your game. We're totally going to get gypped by like 30 or 45 minutes. I'm sure. <laughs> and on air. but uh, what well, last thing I want to say too, is about Texas. Mac Morgan has really emerged as their ace. Um, I think that they truly pitch as a staff earlier on in the year, but you can tell that Mike white is starting to lean on her more as their, their, their ace of the staff. And she got big 12 pitcher of the week. Um, and, and Oklahoma state's going to set a lot of uh, offensive records and, and, um, average potentially run scored Michelle. Like I was digging deep into their offense. Their offense is really leading the way and, and has had a really good year. So Texas pitching will have their hands full. Yeah. New, uh, new hitting coach for Oklahoma state. So yeah, they're doing a good job. I'm, I'm super excited about this is those, uh, those Thursday matchups are, are going to be epic. So, all right, that's going to roll us down into the sixth spot. Let's talk a little bit about the iron ball softball style. So if you're a uh, SEC football fan, you definitely know about the iron bowl. And um, so we're going to talk it on the softball side uh, and, and really dive into Auburn at Alabama. I mean, and anytime those two schools play together, it is, you know, it's gonna It's going to be bash. And I'm excited to hear, uh, uh, Kayla, your thoughts on this, having played in this. So the, the series uh, starts off on Friday uh, and Saturday on the SEC Network, and then Sunday's game will be at 1230 Eastern on ESPN. So um, what are you looking for, bro? Yeah, I mean, I don't care what sport it is. The Iron Bowl and playing Auburn as an Alabama player, it just matters. And the same goes uh, for an Auburn Tiger. You just feel the elevation of those types of games. And it's because of the communities that are involved. It's because of the passion of the fans. I know uh, the Rhodes house is going to be super rowdy this weekend, which is, I think is a huge advantage for Alabama this weekend, but uh, Auburn coming off of a big series win against LSU. I thought they did a really nice job. Maddie Penta through 15 and two third innings. She had 12 strikeouts. She only gave up three runs. It was really solid. She's so effective in the circle. She can hit that 70 plus mile an hour pitch, but her changeup is filthy. She can hit you with a curve, hit hit you with the rise anywhere in the zone. She can locate it really well. Um, I think it's going to be a really good matchup between her and Fouts because you're looking at Montana Fouts being first in the country and Maddie Penta being third in the country in total strikeouts thrown by those two pitchers. So it'll be a tough day for the offense. But again, uh, coming off of that big series victory, you got to give Michaela Packer a lot of credit for the walk-off ninth inning hit to secure the W. I mean, those kind of hits matter, and those kind of moments carry you to a rivalry weekend like Alabama on the road, Danielle. 
Yeah, I, I'm really excited to be on the call for this one because having two elite pitchers like this that you know are going to get the ball in two of the three games and stats-wise are leaders in the nation as far as strikeouts. I mean, Fouts and Penta are top three. Uh, Montana Fouts leads. I want to say Maddie Penta is number three on there. Um, and I, I got to call the Alabama-Mississippi State game on Sunday with Courtney Lyle. And I will say, to me, the, the upward trends at times for Montana Fouts is she performs better on day three against teams, sometimes better than day one. And that just goes to show how good her stuff really is as a fifth year, you guys. You know how hard it is not only being older and playing, but the benefits more so mentally of what you bring to the table because you have that competitive advantage having that additional year. And it's kind of going to show because she's – Someone that's very similar to Maddie Penta, they they lead the squad. I mean, these teams are going to go as Maddie Penta and as Montana Fouts are going to go. I think the one bright light for me in the Alabama sweep was game two with Alex Salter. I think for her to be able to have the performance that she did, just the seven innings pitch, three hits, zero runs, first and foremost, that has to make Fouts feel like, oh, good, I can like take a breath. And not to say that she feels this immense amount of pressure, but to know that other people can step up those are things that you have to use kind of heading into the rest of conference play, conference tournament, and and heading into the mayhem that is ahead of us. But I think this is going to be such a fun matchup just based on these two aces. Where they're at statistically, their numbers in conference play are very similar. Strikeouts, um, ERA, it's pretty impressive. When I look at Mississippi State, they are like on the cusp of being able to like beat some great teams, but there's just, they're, they're struggling a little bit. And it's that timely hitting. I know that Texas A&M weekend, they were down to three pitchers. And this is a team that when they have six pitchers that can go at any time, they're at their best. But I feel like they were kind of pigeonholed a little bit with some injuries. Aspen Wesley threw exceptional on Sunday. I mean, just looking at, she gave up five hits in seven innings pitch, had more strikeouts than Fouts, had seven Ks. Her changeup was the best, I think, that I've seen it look all year long. Um, and she's earned the right for Mississippi State to be that ace for this team and to carry that workload, but she needs the help. And I think Coach Ricketts is at this point, especially in these Zoom calls, where it's like, I'm trying to relay the message of these young ladies that like they got to play for themselves here. They got to play for each other. Like they're putting too much pressure of what the postseason run last year was for them and the expectations of where Mississippi State should be at. And when you're playing with expectations and pressure, um, it is never good. So I think being able to kind of really take a seat back, a, a, a whatever you want to call it, but and just play for each other and remember why you play the game because putting more added pressure on as the season goes on, I think is really going to hurt them. So I'm excited to see kind of where Mississippi State, how they bounce back. But more importantly, this Auburn-Alabama series is going to be fuego. Yeah, a couple other things I'm looking at, you know, from an offensive perspective, facing Penta and Fouts is who's going to make those in-game adjustments because yeah. you look at these two teams, they're really, really similar, both hitting about two, Bama's 285, Auburn's 286. Auburn hits a few more home, home runs with 52 home runs, but I think a big difference for these two squads coming into this weekend is that Alabama's faced some of the better pitchers in the SEC, like a Shanice Dels, like an Ashley Rogers, Carlin Pickens, Gottschall from Tennessee. So when you think about what, Auburn has faced they've faced Georgia LSU in conference play I think you had to go back to Oklahoma when they played Oklahoma out of conference to get the caliber of pitching that they're going to see from Fouts this weekend so that that's what I think it's going to come down to is those 
offensive adjustments and who's going to make them quicker. And right now I think advantage Alabama in that category and advantage to them again for being at the Rhodes house this weekend. I feel like I would just ask Maddie Pennant to throw me BP during the week. Hey, I mean, Pelts and her are very similar. They're 72 up in the zone, like Pento, I'll buy you some coffees. You come throw me a little BP midweek. Oh, not a bad idea. <laughs> I love it. I love it. A um, couple of other notes uh, in the SEC, Florida, is playing at Tennessee. That is going to be another great series. Arkansas at Kentucky, outstanding. And as we talked about, Mississippi State, um, who is playing well, trying to get over that hump, um, they're they're going to be facing off against LSU. What do you got next? Real talk. Well, real talk, Kayla. When's the last time that we we're this excited about Alabama Auburn when Clint Myers was coaching yeah. Auburn? It was, it was, and, I mean, like, it was pitched the Casey yeah, Cooper like, era, like that era would probably and like Carasoni and yep, like, yeah, yeah, it's been a minute yeah. and that, that rivalry had been non-existent pretty much in, on the softball field. Right. Um, and then it kind of sparked back up again with Clint and now it's getting back into like something that we're all paying attention to for that pent of fouts matchup. That'll be awesome as it should. It is good for the sport. I hope we get that twice. Like, I hope we get that game one and game three because Fouts has been pitching game one and two. So we might only get it once. So everybody for sure has to for sure tune in on Friday and see at least that one. All right, headed to number seven on the lineup card, Wildcats Wolverines weekend. If you're driving your car listening to this, try to say that five times in a row. Wildcats Wolverines weekend. That's tough, but um, looking forward to this weekend in the big 10, Aaron and Madison will have that one. Um, or we'll be talking about it um, in this segment, but Northwestern and Michigan going up against each other, two similar teams, Aaron, when you kind of look at them on paper, what do you think? Very, I haven't had a chance to watch much of them firsthand. Um, so I really dove into their statistics and their media notes and on paper, Amanda, they are eerily similar in ERA stolen bases runners left on base. So not being able to capitalize on offensive opportunities. And I think that really encapsulates not just this matchup, but the landscape as a whole at this point in the season comes down to, to the intangibles, the things that statistics don't capture. How are you guys clicking as a team at this point in the year? Um, how are you on the road versus at home, the depth of your dugout, the momentum that you guys have at your back and the momentum, I think, of both of these things, of these teams, I look at Lauren Durkowski, who is pitching back-to-back no-hitters for Michigan, 21 Ks on that weekend for her. And then on the flip side with Northwestern, they've won 18 of their last 19 matchups. They haven't lost since playing Oklahoma on March 17th. So both of these teams really feel like they have the wind at their back. And going into Ann Arbor, I think it'll be an interesting um challenge for Northwestern. I think where both of these teams differ is their approach in the circle. For Michigan, it's really two arms. It's Durkowski and Bobian. And then for Northwestern, they really pitch more as a staff. And that is the style of Michelle Gascoigne. That is just how she runs and manages her arms. So where they do differ, I think will make for an interesting challenge for both of these teams. But I think it'll come down to the intangibles, the things that we don't see really as viewers, but it's more of that internal um, intestinal fortitude, the grit and the gut of these ball clubs. What do you think, Madison? 
Yeah, Erin, you touched on the pitching staff, and I actually found it really interesting that this last weekend, Northwestern going up against Wisconsin did not start Danielle Williams in any one of those games. Now, she came in in all three games, but I thought that was interesting that they went more with uh, a soup lead to start off the game and then or Lauren Boyd and then brought in Danielle Williams. I think we're so accustomed to seeing Danielle Williams be that starter. We know that she can throw, you know, 200 plus innings in a season. So I thought that was an interesting strategy. And of course, it ended up paying off as they uh, ended up sweeping Wisconsin. But I think there's something with North Northwestern and just the amount of experience that that team has. There's so many names that we're so familiar with, whether it be Maeve Nelson, like I mentioned, Danielle Williams, Skylar Shellmeyer, Jordan Rudd, so many players that have so much postseason experience in particular that they never seem to stress or panic whenever their team gets down. I think back to the Northwestern Minnesota series earlier this year, Danielle Williams gets the start. She gives up a grand slam in the first inning, but she sticks with it, gets her team back into the game, gives up a three-run home run later in the game, but still Northwestern was able to win. And I think it's because they have that experience to fall back on and they don't get into that panic mode. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this matchup between these two. And you mentioned Durkowski for Michigan. Michigan. I thought she threw phenomenal this past weekend, that curveball changeup combination that she had going, especially against the right-handed batters. It had some really good late bite on it. And if you're able to mix speeds, especially down in the zone, that's really where she found a, a lot of her successes past weekend. So it's going to be a really good test for both of these teams this weekend in the Big Ten. Yeah, stolen bases was another thing that I was looking into, just the speed of Michigan with almost 60 stolen bases on the year and Northwestern only putting about half of that number. So I would look for Michigan and the Wolverines to put pressure on Northwestern's defense. Ray run the bases very well. Um, but at this point in the season, again, I think that Northwestern leans on that postseason experience, the Women's College World Series experience riding in to another season. But I, I definitely have these two teams circled on my schedule. I want to see these two staves go at it. Another series that I have matched up uh, for this weekend in the Big Ten is going to be Wisconsin and Nebraska going at each other. I think uh, Brooke and Billy Andrews for Nebraska have been fantastic this year, and Kayla Conwent has been phenomenal for Wisconsin. And I was actually looking forward to, I was supposed to be on the call for the game this past weekend, but it got snowed out, the weather up north. Um, so they ended up moving the Northwestern Wisconsin series to a doubleheader. But she's been hitting fantastic. She hit this ball a home run earlier this year. And I swear the ball was above her head, but she has just such good bat eye coordination. Um, but she's uh, doing fantastic for Wisconsin this year. Sometimes there's hand-eye coordination. And then if you're a softball player, it's bat-eye coordination. It's the, the bat-to-ball skills, bat-to-ball <laughs> skills. When you hack at rise balls, you have to have a little bit of that. <laughs> Uh, just to look at the big, tw uh, big 10 standings before we move on, Michelle Northwestern's at the top with a 13 and one record. Nebraska is in second, Indiana is in third, and then Michigan who Northwestern will be taking on, on this weekend in Ann Arbor is in fourth place. Yeah, that's great to hear that uh, Indiana and Nebraska are back uh, toward the top of the Big Ten, something you haven't heard for a while. Nebraska did have a good year last year, but uh, it's, it's great to see that um, both those clubs are, are rising up this year. Um, okay, so that's going to lead us into the eight spot, and we're going to talk to Sydney McKinney. And if you don't know who she is, you should. <laughs> She's the leading hitter in the NCAA, ladies. Um, check this stat out. She was hitting 539 going into uh, the game against Oklahoma State on Tuesday. 
pretty nice batting average. Well, going into a top five program showdown in Stillwater, and she actually raises her batting average up to 544 in a big upset uh, win for Wichita State in Stillwater. And our own Jen Schroeder had a chance to catch up with Sydney McKinney after that big victory. Okay, Jen Schroeder here with Sydney McKinney after they just beat OSU in eight innings. Sydney was three for four on the night. Girlfriend, you were so fast on those bases. Talk <laughs> about you. this game. Thank you. You know, I think coming out, we we know that we had to play almost perfect to beat them. Um, you're not going to beat them one to zero usually, so we knew we just had to keep fighting. Alex, our freshman pitcher, pitched a phenomenal phenomenal game. Sammy Hood, another freshman, came up with the big hit, and that's all you can ask for from them. So you've beaten OSU twice this year already. How are you feeling going into the end of the season, postseason? I feel really good. You know, there's always a chance that we can come here, and um, we always put up a great fight. Um, beat them twice, so we kind of got their number right now. Um, if we end up here, we're going to fight. <laughs> if you end up here for regionals or super regionals, you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about Wichita State. You're in your fifth year, your experience here, playing at a mid-major. What do you want people to know about this Shocker softball team? I think you've seen um, last weekend with Houston, there was a lot of fight, and this game went into extra innings as well. We just... We fight. I mean, it might not always be the prettiest. It might not always be the best, but we're going to come out there swinging, and we're ready to, to beat whoever comes our way. You have the best batting average in the country. How do you do it? I just try not to do too much with it. I just try to hit it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and you're freaking fast as well. <laughs> Tonight you dropped two bunts on the first baseline. Was that something you were thinking about going into this game? Do you just read the defense? How do you decide what to do? Yeah, honestly, the first one was just see ball, hit ball. Um, but the second one, I hadn't got a change up yet, so I knew that was kind of coming, kind of took advantage of that situation. Nice. All right, how do you want people to remember this 2023 Shocker softball team? I think I want everyone to remember this team as just an electric team that goes out there and fights and is ready for postseason. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jen, and thanks, Sydney. Let's move to number nine. Let's shag some stats, you guys. This week on Shaggin' Stats. Um, I'll go first. Uh, Kelly Maxwell has a 42% swing and miss rate. So when people decide to swing at a pitch of hers, 42% of the time, they miss it. The D1 average is 18%. I'll go. I got one. I'm going to give Pac some love here. Um, ASU's offensive powerhouse, Jordan Van Hook is absolutely exploding in her senior season. The last two years, her sophomore and junior year, she batted a buck 70 both years. She's 330 in her senior season. And out of 33 hits that she's had, over half of those have been bombs. So you talk about a senior campaign. She's exploding right now at the plate. And they head to LA this weekend to face UCLA. I was hoping to poke fun at Jen, but she's not on the call this week. <laughs> Um, I will go. I kind of went big picture here. I just, I, I went upsets for the top 25 RPI teams. Cause this weekend to me, was like such an eye opener. Oak state losing to Iowa, Stanford dropping three LSU losing two to Auburn, Florida state losing to Virginia, uh, UW to Oregon state coming in at number nine RPI Clemson that lost to NC state, Texas to Kansas. That one surprised me. I could not believe that one. You guys, um, ULL, that was a, that was a postseason feel all the way against, uh, Texas A&M where Amanda was on the call, Georgia losing two of three, obviously Michelle talked about it, Arkansas to UCA, A&M dropping three to Carolina, uh, Baylor to Tech, 
Virginia Tech, two of three to, to Notre Dame. They're kind of looks like they're going downhill a little bit. Um, and Wichita State losing to Houston. So there were some big upsets across the board for those top 25 RPI teams. Kayla, what you got? All right, you guys got to hang with me, all right? Because I went sabermetrics, thanks 643 charts. I'm diving into this because I wanted to figure out like how to show or tell listeners right now how good Skylar Wallace is because you look at her batting average, it's tops in the country in, in the top 10. Um, her on-base percentage, she and Rachel Becker are tied for first with a 616 on-base percentage. But I wanted to take that up a next level because I want to incorporate how often she's getting on base plus how well she runs the bases. So her weighted, her weighted on-base average, so that kind of combines your on-base percentage with your batting average and how, um, and it weights like your singles, doubles, triples differently based upon how many, whatever, really complicated stuff. But she leads the country with a six, eight, nine weighted on-base average, which is a really good metric to show you just how well you're getting aboard and how well you're advancing bases too. Um, then I also wanted to tell you, so there's a speed rating on six, four, three charts, and this is a great one because it gives you a score out of 10. So 10 being the highest that you can get Skylar Wallace is at a 9.42, which I've looked across the country. There's not many players that I can find that are at that speed rating. And what it does is it shows you your stolen bases, but it also takes it to another level. How often you're getting from first to third on a single, how often you're getting from home second to home on a single to the outfield or how often you're getting first to home uh, on a double to the outfield. So it just kind of takes all those metrics and she's at a 9.42 again. So Skylar Wallace hit four home runs this weekend. She's a stud, but she's studly and her softball IQ is so high where she's, once she's getting on base, she's just making really big things happen. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the speed rating because there's also the uh, intuitiveness of being able to run the bases, uh, not just with the speed. So that's Good stuff. Thanks for that, uh, bro. Love it. Love it. All right. So of course, uh, I'm going to go back to a left-handed pitcher as well, just like uh, Amanda was talking about with Kelly Maxwell earlier. I'm going to talk about Maria Lopez. She was uh, super hot for Utah this weekend uh, in that sweep of Stanford. She was 3-0 on the weekend. And my shag and stat for her is that her ERA was a 0.89 in the series. She had 29 strikeouts in the 23 and two-thirds innings she threw. So a big congratulations to Mariah Lopez for Utah. I'm going back to, I'm on the call for the Florida, Tennessee series this weekend. And of course I'm thinking offensive mindset and both of these teams seem to be really turning it on offensively. Uh, Last week combined between these two teams, they had 31 extra base hits, 13 of which were home runs, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to being on the call for that matchup this weekend. Kayla, I've looked at that speed number. So just to give a little context, um, because I, whenever I had Florida, Arkansas, I was looking at that speed number for Skylar too. And just to give context of like comparison, right? So I think it's good to compare Kiki Malloy's speed number, who is also fast and she has 30 stolen bases is 7.77 and Skylar's, as you said, is 9.4. So like, think about that in perspective of like, that's, that's a much higher number when you think of it between Skylar and Kiki. I think it's going to be my new favorite like shag and stat to bring in because it's legit. What and, would and, what would Kayla Bro's speed rating? Oh, oh, it's like over ten. Flat ten. Over ten. Over ten. Uh, <laughs> no, but that's, I, I think that's it, not on six four three. Yeah, I'm, yeah, that that dinosaur time. No, uh, yeah, I think it, it's cool because like we're getting into all these metrics and to see. I think Michelle, you kind of mentioned it. Like it's one thing to be fast; it's another thing to be intelligent and fast on the base pass and have that IQ where you understand when to advance 
uh, when to be smart, when to not run, when to take that extra base, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think Kayla's uh, speed number will be quicker with her running backwards than mine forward. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> all right, ladies. So I, I, great show. Um, we had a little bark at the park with Amanda. Um, and I, I was, uh, I was wondering if, if my little pooches were going to start barking when she heard yours, Amanda, and we had a little, we had a dance off with Aaron. Um, so that was, that was good. So we, we had some, some great numbers. Um, appreciate everybody hanging with us at seven innings podcast, uh, follow us on Twitter and, um, you know, continue to reach out to us as we're on the road to the women's college world series.